Wow, our latest Park Bath episode has covered such a huge topic. We have spilled out into our bonus episode with what I hope are some thought-provoking ways to think differently about conservation and environmentalism. I really like what Lil Stevens said. Now, she was the paleobotanist I talked to in our Blue Health episode. Conservation isn't necessarily just about what's here now. It's about what was here millions of years ago too. She told me about a small fossil tree she spotted in Finsbury Park, but she talked about it in relation to how important it is to look back in time, to see what has changed, and to see nature's ancestors right there in the park in front of us. In Finsbury Park, yeah, and... um... Yeah, it's extraordinary. And you wouldn't know, it's kind of covered in moss and <laughs> I didn't notice it. It's just this one's a small thing, it's about half a metre high, but there it is, little plants growing around it. And I always find it a bit difficult because it's, you know, because it can't get mowed like the rest of the grass in the park. Then it's um, also a little oasis for plants that grow around it that are protected by it in a way and mosses that grow on it. And, you know, so it's a little habitat in itself now. I think, you know, I love fossils, but I think current nature is more important, really, in terms of preservation. Mm. But Lil also shared her fun facts about fossils and nature. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that was, um, that's, that's my fun fact, you know, when people like, you know, tell us something interesting. And I think actually... I just, I love that we can see the relatives of plants that are around today, whose ancestors were trees growing in carboniferous swamp forests that were, you know, 50 metres high, and now they're tiny little mosses. And, you know, in that relatively short time from them kind of evolving on land to dominating the carboniferous landscape, making most of the the coal that we find today, they, you know, often in a very, have a very simple anatomy, simple structure, and then quite specific needs for kind of water for their reproduction. But they've, they've survived for, you know, three or 400 million years. They've changed, but they've changed slowly, or sometimes they've changed quickly, and they've moved around, yet they're still here. That's, yeah, I find it endlessly astonishing. We didn't really talk about nature disconnection in our main episode this week, but this is a real thing, and many people feel a deep sense of separation from the natural world. We even have a new word for this, biophobia, which means a fear of nature. The opposite of this is biophilia, which in turn is a love of all things nature. Louise Montgomery and I talked extensively about this topic. Nature disconnection is a very modern thing, I would say, and it's primarily down to an increase in technology, but also urban living. I I think it's something like up to 80% of the population worldwide by 2050 will be living in in towns and cities in urban environments. And if I look outside, I actually can't see any nature from my window. I'm living in a very densely populated area of London, and it's about reconnecting people with the natural environment by bringing nature back into their daily lives. Growing up, there's there's a disconnection if you grow up in urban areas and nature is removed from your sight. There's this term that's been thrown around called plant blindness. 
and people are walking through and they don't necessarily notice the plants because they don't know about them and and you don't care about what you don't know that's certainly something that I've found uh, through my PhD working with children if the children aren't aware of what they're what they're looking at they they won't grow up with pro-environmental behaviors they won't realize how they can gain benefits throughout their everyday lives and and so I would really say tackling this disconnection we have to just bring it back into our everyday life and not see it as a special occasion that we can go out and head out to the mountains or head out to the seaside to to just enjoy nature for that one day but bring it back into the into the root of our of our life it's vital therefore we conserve our natural spaces and encourage those who feel connected to nature to use them but also to encourage groups who feel disconnected to rediscover their ancestral roots as we said before we need to sustain the future of the planet but we also need to sustain our immediate health too. And as this series has shown over and over, nature does benefit our well-being in so many ways. Over the past 18 months with the pandemic, people have realised how much nature can help both their mental and their physical health and well-being, of course. Nature engaging with nature on on a, a physical contact basis, it can it can lead to feelings of social inclusion, whether you're feeding the birds, for example, and this can help to mitigate feelings of social isolation. There's also the, the, the mood to the positive emotional response and, and decreasing the negative emotions response can also lead to attention restoration. So you can focus in on the here and the now and forget the worries and, and sort of reset from your, your work stress and your anxiety and really deplete that what's going on in the background. And indeed, a, a carryover from the mental side of things, when you have a decrease in stress and anxiety and it, it helps your heart rate and your, your, your respiration, this can have a, a positive impact on your immune system. So that leads very nicely into the physical health side of things. And also engaging with nature, it promotes people to be more active in the natural environment. So again, within our everyday lives, we typically are sat at desks. We have quite sedentary lifestyles now, but accessing the natural environment promotes the activity and this leads to various physical benefits. So here are a few things you can do right now on your doorstep, because we've learned that that's the best place to start. This is Chantelle from the Wildlife Trust talking about her work with the Great North Woods Project here in Crystal Palace. Yes, absolutely. The more the merrier. We are actively looking for new volunteers. So within the within the conservation sector, um, volunteering is huge. Um, so it's when you give up your time free, and um, but in turn you get benefits of social benefits, mental health benefits, um, and also just a kind of sense of you doing something for your local community because that is the important thing. You feel like you belong, and you feel like you're looking after your space. So you can um, go onto our website, Great Northwood Project, if you search it. First thing that you search, find that you when you search Great Northwood is often the pub for Great Northwood. But bypass that, don't get sucked in, um, and go to the Great Northwood project and you can scroll down and sign up to our newsletter. And that tells you where we are, when we're doing it, um, and we're open to everyone if you are 16 and over, come and volunteer with us. Um, and we're really big on uh, including and accessing groups that maybe are underrepresented within the sector. 
that's black and Asian and minority ethnic groups, people that aren't, uh, I've got disabilities, for example, which within a modern setting can be quite difficult to navigate. But I think if we all just try, if we all talk to each other, so we're all about doing like targeted outreach and um, sessions that are for particular groups, LGBTQ groups, and um, we're actually putting together our targeted outreach groups so that people can feel comfortable and hopefully they can come and volunteer with us. And even if you can't volunteer, just discovering the spaces is also really important. I go past so many people who go, I've just discovered this within lockdown and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it saved my life. And you're like, wow. So I definitely say come and discover it because it is, it's really special. And here she is explaining some incentives. For one, the amazing bird life you might be lucky enough to come across. Um, I've got quite a keen ear now for woodpecker drilling. And I always think that's such a great hook for people because, you know, we hear about woodpeckers, but not a lot of people know that we've got them in London. So around this time of the year, especially, you'll hear the drilling of a woodpecker, often the great spotted woodpecker. So we've got two woodpeckers in Britain. So we've got the great spotted woodpecker and the green woodpecker. A lot of the time, the drilling that you'll hear will be from the great spotted woodpecker. They spend a lot of time up in the canopy of the trees. They're black and white and red and just incredible because they've got this reinforced skull. That means that they can drill. They're not going to get a headache like we would. And then you've got the green woodpeckers, which you'll find feeding on the floor because they absolutely love ants. So it's kind of like you've got one up there drilling and you've got one on the ground, which is quite magical. And just when we're volunteering, we are just serenaded by this chattering and tweeting of gold crests firecrests we've got kestrels sparrowhawks you know birds of prey that will literally like fly over within the great north wood there's even been hobbies in one of the sites in, in croydon and so yeah it is an absolute array of bird life and did you know we have ancient trees that are over 400 years old right here in southeast london so we've got parts of the great north wood landscape that are still considered ancient so ancient woodland is within that's um, over 400 years old so yeah and you have so the older the tree the more life it supports you've got ancient trees which of course are just trees that are not just that are trees that are um, considered I guess of significant age depending on the tree species so for an oak an ancient tree would be about 400 years old but for a yew tree because they live for so long they would be considered ancient at 800 years old but yeah, the older the tree is, the more maybe veteran features you'd get. So veteran features are things like deadwood, which are incredible for birds and bats and, and also a whole host of insects which rely on deadwood. And then you'll have hollows in the trees. You'll have gnarly and knobbly bits, bits that collect pockets of water. And all of these features within one single tree can support a whole yeah, host of wildlife. So the older the tree, yeah, the better it is. So that's why it's really important that we preserve ancient trees and why. I had a great chat with Isabel Lazada, author of The Joyful Environmentalist. She had so many tips for helping the planet, saving money and reducing plastic. It's a bit like, make your kitchen a bit more like your grandmother's kitchen. I mean, personally, I'm not for any kind of fabric softeners. I think they're a waste of money. And a lot of the smells they say are actually cancerous. They're all they're all very artificial smells. They don't have any. There's no natural smells in any of those things. So I would save again, save more money by getting rid of all your fabric softeners altogether. Then washing things. Uh, um, I persuaded my local health food shop in Battersea, which is called Apples and Bees, to stock. It's I forget the name of it, but it's just a soap powder that comes in a bag. 
you know, so I don't, I'm not even using a cardboard box, but I mean, basically old fashioned soap powder in a cardboard box, like your granny had, we don't need any kind of plastic. We don't need eco eggs, but plastic doesn't need to go anywhere near the machine. So personally, I'm a great believer in, in old fashioned soap powder. And then you have to use far less of it than we've been told. And obviously we can use it on a lower temperature than we've been told. And for a shorter time than we've been told. I mean, we're basically, you know, over, over washing our clothes. You can get, you can also get those wonderful natural, they're like, they're, they're like soap nuts. That's it. They're like little nuts and they grow on trees. And so whenever I have to wash anything that I sort of know is already clean really like for example you have some sheets and someone's come and stayed for one night but you're not going to put your guest your next guest in sheets that someone else has slept in so you wash them but really that's when I use the soap nuts I try and just keep my keep the chemicals in my in my kitchen to an absolute minimum I mean it's just about keeping things simple and keeping things plastic free and just and trying to bring in things that have natural smells you know like lemon juice and grapefruit juice and Becoming more environmentally aware is an ongoing process. In the first place, it's actually noticing the status quo. What am I doing right now? It's noticing what's in our homes, from appreciating what you have to maybe giving away what you no longer enjoy. What are the objects that you that you live with every day but don't necessarily like? It's astounding. I mean, I'll go to someone's house and I'll comment on a picture and I say, oh, I really dislike that. You know, my late aunt gave it to me. It's a hideous picture, isn't it? <laughs> and I'll say, oh, was your late aunt a very unpleasant woman? They say no. I was like, do you think she intended you to suffer every day? I mean, do you think that was her intention when she gave you the picture? I mean, if it doesn't, if it, if you've got something in your environment that doesn't enhance your life, then give it to the, give it to someone whose life it will enhance. And I just had to share Isabel's tip on shampoo bars. No, no, they're very different. That both the shampoo bars and the conditioner bars, as anyone who's tried using the bars will know. There are many of them and they have very different quality. I mean, the personal shampoo bar I use is called Honey, I Washed My Hair, made by Lush, and I love it. But then I also, my other secret with hair is I never put hot water on my scalp. I only ever put cold water on my scalp. Therefore, I'm not stimulating the grease glands. So as well as it being good for the immune system, as we know, cold water is good on the body. Um, I put hot water on my body, but I only put cold water on my scalp. And then you don't need to wash your hair so often and like all these things. I'm now a complete convert. And if you want to travel in more green ways, why don't you consider using a bike or even one of the bike-based apps like Go Pedal Me? That way we can all help lower fuel emissions. Hopefully you're starting to get the picture. You can make changes in every room in the home and it doesn't need to stress you out or cost you money. We can get involved with the rewilding movement too. As Kirsten said in the main episode, recovery and regeneration of natural woodlands is far superior to just planting more trees. Maybe it's a case of let sleeping logs lie. Like Chantelle explained, 40% of woodland species depend on standing or fallen deadwood and fallen logs also help slow the flow of water through streams and filter the water, creating sheltered habitats and clean water. So, If you've got some fallen branches or some dead wood in your garden, let it be. Don't feel the need to tidy up your garden quite so much. Maybe the same with your allotment. Nature can be messy and beautiful and wild. Maybe we need to rethink how nature needs to look and leave it alone just a little bit more. 
it kind of knows what it's doing. And under that rotting branch or log, you will find a host of grateful critters. And you know that they're doing a really important job. So be a bit radical. Let the grass grow longer. Let scrub develop. Let self-seeding saplings find a home if you can afford the room. There are literally hundreds of ways to start making a difference. So we'll leave it there. I think that's probably enough food for thought. Do tell us if you get involved with a local green volunteering group or maybe a conservation group. And as always, please leave us a review and share this episode to anyone who you think might find it useful. We'll be back soon with more snippets from the amazing guests we have interviewed for this series. So thank you to all of them for their insights and wisdom. If you'd like to join a park bathe walk and experience forest bathing for yourself, check out when the next dates are on via our social media and join the Park Bathe Facebook group. See you there. Bye for now. Thank you.